Good to see you all here. We're going to talk about uh, the fall Moedim for the next couple weeks. We're starting now because they kick off next week. So we kind of like to talk about things before we get there. So that way we're like, why are we doing this? What's this about? What's going on? Right? <laughs> There's a reason why the Moedim are called rehearsals. Because what's a rehearsal for? Yeah, you're, you're, you're okay. Let's go through this a couple times so that uh, when we get to an actual event, we know what's happening, right? <laughs> well, I think we all can safely say that we, as we go through the Moedim, we have rehearsals for what the Father is asking us to do and what he's, what is put on his heart. He's asking us to join with him and all that and meeting with him and just having a good time together. And when the day comes here, we'll realize we got it all wrong. <laughs> But he is teaching us one step at a time, and he is leading us along the way, and all he's asking us to do is follow. So that's what we do. We follow. And in the meantime, we uh, do with what we know, and we work through the rehearsals, knowing they're all about him, and they all reveal him, and they all show his heart to, to us. Now, the spring, the Moedim in the spring, we know like Pesach, right? Unleavened bread, first fruits, going into uh, even Shavuot. All these times are revealing what happened with the Messiah when he was here. And when he came, I mean, because what's Passover about? It's redemption, right? It's about learning how to live. It's about being drawn to the, into the presence of the Father, receiving his word, leading into Shavuot, right? Well, all this was when he was here, when he came. Now, in the fall, we look at what's going to happen when he returns, when he comes again. This is prophetic, right? And they all, they all point to him anyway. So what is it looking like when he returns? Well, okay, Yom Teruah. Is Yom Teruah supposed to be like a really quiet, low-key? No, what, I mean, what are we supposed to do? It is a day to hear a shout, okay? Uh, the word trua, that's what it means. It means a, a shout. It is a sound, literally, that is so loud it splits the ears. Think of the loudest concert you've ever been to and multiply. It is loud. Let me put it this way. It's a day that when the trumpet sounds, everyone will hear it. We will, we, he will have all of our attention, okay? And then what happens later? Well, we have 10 days. And then we have Yom HaKippurim, which is about atonement. So it's prepare the way the king is coming. Get ready. He's coming. They're announcing the shout of the shofar. And then the trumpets are sounding. Get ready. He's coming. And then when he comes, what's he coming for? Judgment. So in this 10 days, there's a, there's a time when we're thinking about judgment. And then Yom HaKippurim, where atonement has been provided for us. And this is an acknowledgement that atonement has been provided for. And then five days later, what's five signify? Grace, right? So five days later, we enter into a time of Sukkot. And Sukkot, I mean, we've heard this called many times, which we'll talk about this next week, but it's called the Feast of Ingathering. It's called the Wedding Feast, right? We talk about the Great Wedding Feast. It's, we're talking about Sukkot. Uh, we're talking about a time of, of dwelling with Yahweh, a time with his presence among us, and a time of entering in to forever. That's what Sukkot is about, dwelling with him. Okay? But we're not going to talk about Sukkot today. We're going to talk about that next week. Today, we're going to talk about specifically the 10 days. Now, in the past, we've gone through and broken down much more detail regarding Yom Teruah, then Yom Kippurim, then Sukkot. We've done it in that way, um, which, you know, they're still out there. You can find them uh, on, our, on, our, on our YouTube channels if you want to back up. There's multiple things on there. I want to focus more so this time. We're still going to talk a little bit about that, but I, wanna, I want the focus of today, today to be more about the 10 days. Because how often do you hear people really talk about the 10 days? You know, we talk about Yom Teruah, we talk about Yom Kippur, and they are important. You don't hear much about the text. You might hear some things, but you're not going to hear a lot about it. And so the focus of what we have here today is going to be in that, even though we are going to touch. Okay, so we've got a lot of ground to cover today. You ready to jump into it? All right, so you guys are going to get to it. All right, here we go. We're going, all right? And we, it works. Okay, for now. So Leviticus 23, 
You know, the Moedim, Leviticus 23, verses 1 through 3, is kind of setting up for the Moedim. It says, Yahweh spoke to Moshe, and he says, uh, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of who? Who? Notice he doesn't just say of the Jewish people. I have nothing against that. I'm just saying it doesn't say that. It says of who? Yahweh. yod heh vav Yahweh. You know the L-O-R-D in all caps means yod heh vav right? So who do these belong to? They belong to him. What he says is these are my feasts, my appointed times, my times that I have set in, 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 in for me, but I want you to be a part of it. So they're his, but he wants us to partake of them and, and to have a, a, a joy in them. All right, so let's move on. So he says, these are uh, the feasts of Yahweh that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days work will be done, but on the seventh is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to Yahweh and all your dwelling places. So notice he says, these are the appointed times, right? Moedim, or or words were put here. Uh, Also, holy convocations, which uh, if you haven't really heard that word before, uh, holy convocation is a set-apart gathering. Okay, a convocation is an, is an assembly. So these are times that are called out where people are gathering together to acknowledge what Yahweh is doing and to, and to have this with him. And what's the very first one that he says? Louder? Shabbat. Hey, what's today? Yeah, okay. So we're doing good so far, right? All right, so the very first of all the Moedim is Shabbat because here's the thing. That's a decision for us. That is a decision of, of, I'm going to set this time aside because Yahweh says this time is holy, and I'm going to set this time aside to be with him and to gather with him and to be with his people. This is something that we have to make the decision to do. And as we do that, then the rest of them are set up and becoming relevant. Okay? Notice this. Yahweh, he gave his word for all of us. But if we're not saying we have a covenant relationship with him, does that really matter? Honestly. So we have to have a relationship with him before we can say we, we truly care about what he said for us. So because of that decision of covenant, just what Shabbat symbolized, entering into his rest, entering into relationship. So with that, we follow in. Okay. All right. Verse 13, or go down to Levit- Leviticus 23, go down to verse 23. So Yahweh spoke to Moshe and he says, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering unto Yahweh. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe and he says, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement, and it shall be for you a time of holy convocation. And you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering unto Yahweh. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before Yahweh your God. And whosoever is not afflicted on the, on the very first day will be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. Verse 31. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It shall be for you a Shabbat of solemn rest. And you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, beginning at the evening. From evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Go down to verse 36. So these are the appointed times of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation. For presenting to Yahweh food offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, drink offerings, each on its proper day, besides Yahweh's Sabbaths, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your freewill offerings, which you give to Yahweh. Okay, so these are, are times that were set aside and designated for meeting, for gathering, and when they gathered, there was an increase in the offerings that were brought. Why? Because that was one mode of worship. Okay? As they came and they brought their offering, what we often call sacrifices in the scripture called korban, 
which literally means something that is brought near. So it was something that was brought near to the Father that was, is from you. It's a representation of you, your life, your heart, your gift, your work. I mean, everything that you are, you are presenting to the Father. And so this was one means, one avenue that a person could be represented into the presence of Yah. And this was in the modes of worship, they were wanting to be in his presence. I mean, here's an example. The peace offering, what is that? But wanting to dwell with him and to be at peace with him and to have that relationship, right? And the beautiful thing of the peace offerings is when you gave that peace offering, there were portions of that that you got back that you were supposed to eat in the holy place with multiple other people and to declare the goodness of Yah and what he has done for you. It's called a thanksgiving. So there were many things that were awesome in these times, but there was an, an increase in devotion, an increase in following through. As we know, the, the Shalosh Regalim, the three foot festivals, as they're called, three times a year, everyone was supposed to go to Jerusalem to honor these appointed times in these festivals because th not everyone all over the world could gather in Jerusalem every Shabbat. <laughs> Makes sense. So there were times that were set where they were supposed to go to Jerusalem and, and to have this in his presence there because that's where he was a place where he's calling all people to come to him. So in here today, we're going to look at Yom Teruah, the 10 days of awe and Yom HaKippurim. All right. So the Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah is a day of proclamation. It is a day of shouting. It is a day or for memorial. It's a day for remembering. And let me put it this way. It's a day to make sure that Yah has your attention. We need to make sure that we're focused on it. See, the world is very good at distracting, isn't it? It's very good at distracting us. It's very good at, at, at choosing where we focus. And if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in what the world is trying to tell us we should care about that we'll not care about the things we should care about. Yeah, so <laughs> if, we, if we get distracted, we lose focus on what's important. And if we, if we get distracted on what's important, then it would be easy to be pulled astray. And Yahweh is telling us to keep our hearts, our mind, and our intent set on Him. Now, I'm not telling anyone to bury your head in the sand and not pay attention to what's going on around. What I am saying is, where do you spend your time focused? Where do you, where's the meditation of your heart? When you're going and, and you're researching and you're reading and you're doing things, what is it? Because what you spend the most of the time on, that's where your heart is. And so, what has your heart? Is it Yahweh? Is it His Word? Is it trying to say, okay, how do I live the life He wants me to live here now? Knowing that whatever He's given us, He'll equip us to do it. But if we don't know what it is, we don't know what to do. So we got to get in the book. we got to read it, right? And we, we are around each other, hopefully, enough to where we can learn to walk it out daily. Put it this way. You ever notice that when you read something in the Scripture, it seems like almost immediately after, you get an opportunity to put into practice what you have just read, right? Especially when it comes to things like forgive. Some of you know. You're like, yeah. Why? Because it's true. As soon as you read something, what is, what is the best way to get something inside of you? Experience it. See, you can read about it all day. But unless you experience it, it's not going to become a part of you. You read it, and then you get, let's just say, opportunities to put into practice what you've just read. See, it's about your focus. So, so we're focused in these times. And Yom Teruah, our focus should be back on the Father. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about Yom Teruah, they talk about the ten virgins. Good place to talk about it, right? Uh, notice they were, they, the, the five had oil, five did not. When they heard the, the loud uh, blast of the trumpet saying the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. This is why they, they talk about this being Yom Teruah, okay? So the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. They all awoke and rose, and the five who had the oil uh, trimmed their lamps. They, they, they trimmed the fire, they had that in there, and then there were five who did not have oil, and they were late to the party, right? But there's one thing that often gets overlooked. They were all asleep. <laughs> so... Where's our focus? Are we keeping watch? 
Are we looking for him today? So Yom Teruah, you could say, yeah, I, I, this is awesome. I've got the oil. I've got the fire. This is great. But if you're asleep, what good is it going to do you? We need to be diligent. We need to keep our eyes and our hearts set on Yahweh. So let's look at a couple of things. What are we told to do in this time? We'll prepare the way, obviously. How do we do that? Well, first off, we need to repent. This is a, a, a declaration. The king is coming. Go out to meet him. Which means if you're not ready, get ready quick. <laughs> because the king is coming. He didn't say the king might be here sometime. He didn't say, hey, the king's coming. Are you ready? He said the king's coming. Go meet him, which means you better be ready. So this is a time of preparation should already be there. You know, I've often heard there's a time to, to prepare and there's a time to be prepared. When these Moedim come, this is a time to be prepared. Okay? This is a time to put into action what we've been studying, what we've been reading about, what we've been learning about. This is a time to put it into play. So here, what do we do? Well, first off, if we haven't done so yet, we need to repent. How do you prepare to meet the king? Make sure your heart's right. Okay, that's the, that was the, the point of the, the sixth month, the month of Elul. That's the point of the whole month. The king's in the field. He's coming to you to meet you where you're at. He, and so when he meets with you, restoring relationship. How's your heart? You're getting what you need. Are you prepared for what's coming? You know? So if we're not there, then first thing we need to do that. Matthew 18, 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Also in 2 Peter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, uh, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away like with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the, and the works that are done in it will be exposed. So the first thing we need to do is repent. And when we, we know that when we repent, he is faithful. He is just. He will forgive. But now we need to learn to walk with him. So we have to go meet him. Okay. Some common traditional themes regarding Yom Teruah is Israel will be gathered. When, uh, when, when they're in the wilderness and the shofar was sounded in the wilderness, what was it for? Here's a hint. It wasn't just one thing. Different calls meant different things. You know, some calls were for the leaders to gather. Some calls were for the people to go out and some were to, to come in and some was for certain tribes to be dispersed. So they, all the calls meant different things. This is why when Rav Shaul says, if the trumpet makes an uncertain call, who will, who will prepare themselves? Okay? So you could have 30 trumpets blowing and all be blowing something different and it would be chaos and confusion. So there has to be unity. The trumpets have to sound the same thing. And then the people have to know what the call is, right? So if the trumpet's going off, you're like, what's that? And I don't know what to do. Well, that's where you're stuck. Okay? Or further, if it is a trumpet to, to come and prepare yourselves because we're getting ready to go out to war and you think it's a call to come for lunch, it's not going to go well. We need to know the call. Okay? So Yom Teruah is a time for Israel to gather. It's a time that all Israel will be gathered in together. It is a coronation day for the king of kings. It's a resurrection. It's a day of judgment. You can say, oh, I thought Yom Kippurim was a day of judgment. No, Yom Kippurim is a day of atonement. This is a day where judgment starts. Traditionally, this is said where the books are opened, you know, the whole book of life thing, where the books are open and it is decreed for all what is going forth in the earth and judgment will be, will be given into the earth what is for this next year, what's coming. And then the books are closed on Yom Kippurim. And let me kind of paraphrase it this way. You got 10 days to make sure you're in a good... Now, we know we can repent any day, okay? But if our heart is, well, I can repent later, yeah, that's not going to happen, okay? That's not going to go well. See, we, we need to say, this is the time when Yahweh says he's got 
our attention. He wants us to listen to Him as we prepare to see the atonement that He has provided for us. And as we prepare to come in to Sukkot, the wedding feast, a time of entering into eternity, to spend eternity with Him. So it all starts with a trumpet. It's a day to remember. Okay, It says it's a day uh, to remember the fathers, a day to blow the shofar. Uh, traditionally, this is also the day that the world was created. I don't know if that's true or not. There's a lot of midrash on it. But I'm just saying the traditional thought, these are all themes that apply on this day. Okay? This is also one of the reasons why you hear a lot of people talking about, so Yeshua's coming back, and he's coming back on Yom Teruah. I'm not going to say, <laughs> you, know, you know, you guys know me, right? I'm not going to say, this is the day he's coming back. Okay? But I am going to say the theme fit, right? Because it's a time, this trumpet's going to sound, and what happens when the trumpet sounds? The trumpets announce our king. You ever wonder where that came from? That the trumpets announce the coming of a king, and you know, you look at the old booze, you see things, you see them blowing the trumpets and the kings walking. Right? That's a biblical theme. The trumpets and when Yahweh came down and stepped foot on Mount Sinai, what did the people hear before they heard his voice? They heard a trumpet. They heard a shofar, and it got louder and louder and louder, and it shook heaven and earth. And then Yahweh. So yeah, trumpets announce our. Let's keep going. The Hertz Siddur, which is which is a traditional Siddur, says the messianic hope, the resurrection. And the immortality of the soul are, are all intertwined with the message of the shofar. Why? Because the shofar is supposed to get your And isn't that what the gospel is supposed to get your attention? Isn't that what the Father is wanting to do in our life? To get our attention to say, there's a better way for you. I have a kingdom in your midst. I want you to be a part of it. There's a better way for us to live, to show the goodness, love, and mercy of our God. We've got to be willing to submit ourselves into it, right? Okay. So when it comes to scriptures regarding Yom Teruah, there really isn't a lot, honestly, that specifically, directly talk about Yom namely two, okay, two passages. Now you can find it being peppered through a whole bunch of different places, but as far as being spoken of directly, there's really only two. So let's look at one of them. Numbers 29.1. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a what? A holy convocation. What is that? It's a gathering, okay? You guys are getting it, right? <laughs> it's a gathering. Uh, you shall not do any ordinary work. So what does that mean? Yeah, just what it says, right? <laughs> okay, and it is a day for you to blow the trumpets. Now, is it so much about blowing the trumpets as it is hearing the trumpet? So it's both, okay? You could say technically it's both, but if you're going to blow the trumpets, you better hear them, <laughs> right? It's, it's not like you can blow the trumpet and not hear it. You blow the trumpet so you can hear it. Leviticus 23, 23, we said this. So Yahweh spoke to Moshe, and he says, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, uh, you are to have, uh, to, or, sorry, let me back up. Speak to the people of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest. What, again, we're talking about, that means no working, right? A memorial proclaimed with the blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a, a food offering unto Yahweh. So it says, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets. Now, when we think memorial, we think of it very passive. We think of memorial as an object. It's a memorial, it's, it's, it's this thing is a memorial, right? Like we go to like a statue, it's a memorial, right? A plaque, it's a memorial. When Yahweh, when he spoke of memorials in, in relationship to his word, it's not something that is passive, there's an action. Well, it says this is a memorial for you, and it, literally in the Hebrew, a memorial means to act upon something. See, to remember something, therefore you do something. It's not just saying, oh yeah, by the way, you know, yesterday. It's not just making a statement. It's actually, you have an action. So this is what he says, a day of remembrance, a memorial of shofar, zikron teruah. It doesn't say here a memorial of shofar, it says zikron teruah. Teruah is the sound the trumpet makes. 
You know, often the sound that a trumpet makes or what goes through, it's called the breath, right? It's the breath that goes through there. Well, here it's, it's trua, which is the sound that the trumpet makes. And this is uh, specifically the, the ones, the nine staccato blasts. It's, it's, the, it's the blast to go through. It's an alarm that's going to the people. So why would they often say that the shofar of the ram's horn is, is to be a remembrance of Where do we see a ram's horn? Because specifically this is what it's talking about. So where do we see the, the remembrance of a, of a ram's horn in the scripture? What's it supposed to remind us of? How about remind us of Yahweh Yireh? God will provide. He will see to it. How about El Shaddai? He is, the, he is the almighty God. Where am I getting that from? How about Avram? Right? When he went and he brought uh, his son Yitzhak and he was to, supposed to sacrifice him, lay him down as a burnt offering to Yahweh, what was found caught in the, in the, in the thorn bush? The ram's horn. And uh, notice thorns. Caught in the thorns. You know? So we're, again, we're talking shadows of Yeshua. We're talking about uh, the head being caught in the thorns. And then the ram's horn, well, we know throughout Scripture, the horns represent authority, represent power, represent different, uh, different things. But also, this is what we're looking at. So here, this is a dedication of being sanctified and set apart to Yahweh because he says Yahweh will, pro- Yahweh will see to it. And here it is given that he is the one who provides for us for whatever we need. Because in this case, it was Yitzhak laid his life down, but he didn't have to lay it down to me. So he came up off he came up off of that. But we do know this was a picture and a shadow of Yeshua laying his life down and being resurrected. Some state that it was the two shofars that, are, that, that Yahweh had used, the two ram's horns that are from here, one at Mount Sinai and the other when he returned. Again, I'm true, it's Midrash. But the point of it is they see a connection to Abraham, Isaac, and the redemption. All right, so this is uh, the ram's horn, the binding of Yitzhak, the shadows of Yeshua, the dedication of ourselves to the sanctification of his name. We find again in a uh, in Midrash in Rosh Hashanah 16a, it says, Why is a ram's horn blown? The Holy One, blessed is he, said, Blow the ram's horn in order that I will remember the binding of Yitzhak, the son of Avraham, and so that I will consider it as if you yourself have bound yourselves to me. In other words, let me kind of like really paraphrase this this way. It is a remembrance, not for Yah, but for us, to say that, that we are laying our lives down. We submit ourselves to our king. And because we submit ourselves to our king, we have this relationship. He will provide. He will make a way. And he will redeem and resurrect us. All right. What are the trumpets supposed to do with the king? Prepare the way. Okay. It is, it is an alarm. It is a proclamation. And it's not quiet. It's sounding. So people all around know what's happening. The king is coming. Okay. Uh, throughout scripture, there are voices that are proclaimed like a trumpet. And again, the sound that a shofar makes is called a voice, but what voice? Whose voice are we listening? Okay, are we listening to the right voice? Look, Isaiah 58, 1 says, cry aloud, don't hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people uh, their transgression, the house of Jacob, their sin. Jake, uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3, voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of, of the Lord, make straight in the desert the highway of our God. John, uh, John 1, 23 says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Yeshiyahu said. Again, where do we see this prophecy is being explained? Again, the Torah, the prophets, the writings, the Brihadashah, it's all one. This is all revealing the work that Yahweh is one. A day of shofar and shouting, Zephaniah 1, 15 and 16, says a day of, of wrath is the day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, joyful. Again, we're talking a day of judgment, aren't we? Judgment, you know, there's always two sides to judgment. You know, when we say judgment, we always think bad, right? There's two sides to judgment. Judgment's only bad if you're on the wrong side of it. 
Okay, if you go to court, what do you want? You want a judgment, but you want one in your favor. <laughs> okay, so when the day of judgment comes, it's not like, what are we going to do? No, we have that relationship. So we, yes, there's going to be dark cloud. There's going to be all these things. But yet, for Yahweh's people, it's a time where we know. It's a new beginning for us, right? Okay, uh, 16, a day of what? Trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty embattlement. The shofar is going to signal the exile's return. Uh, we say it every Shabbat, right? Sound this great shofar for what? For our freedom, to bring in the exiles, to bring in those that were scattered to the, uh, the four winds, right? To bring them all back in. Well, that's scripture. It's not just something that's said. That's taken directly from scripture. So the shofar is going to help them bring in back the exile's return. Isaiah t- uh, 27, 12 says, In the day from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, Yahweh will thresh out the grain, and you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria, those who were driven out of the land of Egypt, will come and worship Yahweh on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. It's not just talking about these places. The idea here is from wherever they have been scattered, because all the prophets, as we go through the prophets, continually talk about. Okay? It's a constant theme throughout the Tanakh. Look, Isaiah 18.3. All the inhabitants of the world. Inhabitants of who? The world. Where's that? Uh, everywhere. <laughs> so this is all around us, right? Not just one city, not just one country. This is all over the world. Uh, you who dwell on the earth, when the signal is raised on the mountains, look, and when the trumpet is blown here, who is the signal that was raised on the mountains? Yeshua. He is the signal, that the sign that was raised upon the mountains, that we look to him. And when the trumpet is blown, we hear, we will go. Didn't it say that he'll come back and split the Mount of Olives? And where's he coming back to? Where's he setting his feet down? It's in Jerusalem, guys. And if we're going to go where he is, where's he going? At Jerusalem. <laughs> right? Matthew 15, 24. Yeshua says, I was sent to who? Sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 10, 6. Uh, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So again, he's saying to go and, and to bring in those who were scattered, those who were gone. And the beautiful thing about that is as we go, we seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There are those that we will be brought in along with. It's all about rhythm. It's all about coming back to the Father and having No matter where you are, no matter where you're from, Yahweh has a place for you. Look, speaking of the trumpet sounding and proclaiming our King, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. His trumpet. His shofar. And I bet that's not going to be quiet, right? No, this is, this is a day of shouting. This is a day where all are going to hear it. And it says, uh, so, so the, and his trumpet, and the dead, and, and Messiah will rise first. Look at this, just to kind of context. Daniel 7, 13. It says, I kept watching the night visions when I saw the coming in the clouds of heaven, someone like the Son of Man. I wonder who that could be. And he approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. To him was given rulership, glory, and a kingdom, so that all the people, nations, and languages should serve him. His rulership is an eternal rulership that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Who is that? Daniel 12, 1 through 3. The same time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has a charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, and everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. There it is right there again. Uh, we're talking about uh, the trumpet, him coming, we're seeing in the clouds, all this, and the books are being involved in it. 
again, this is where they get uh, one of the places they get the idea of Yom Teruah being associated with the books being open, the book of life, of judgment, all this. Uh, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and awaiting an everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who, who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Zechariah 9, 13-15, uh, for I have set Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim its arrow, and I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, who wield it like a warrior's sword. Then Yahweh will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning, and the Lord God will sound the trumpet. Who will sound the trumpet? Yeah, Yahweh. The Lord God will sound the trumpet, and uh, he will march forth into the whirlwinds of the south. He, the Yahweh's of Oak will protect them, and they shall devour, the tread down, the sling, the stones, and they shall drink the roar of the dr if drunk with wine, and be full like the bowl drenched. Okay, so all this, when, when the trumpet sounds, there's an action. That's a, when you see here, so when the trumpet sounds again, when everyone's going to hear it, it's going to be an, an amazing time. It's going to be the, the day of the Lord. And this is going to be a time where many will arise to judgment, but many will arise to everlasting life. Where are we going to be in that? And that's that as a preparation in these 10 days that we're looking at. Okay. So what are the main themes for the shofar? Awaken and arise, right? Wake up and get out of your bed, right? Awaken and go do what okay? There's 10 days between Yom Kippurim and Yom Teruah. We're looking at these. Ephesians 5.14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So we are called to prepare the way. The question is, are we preparing the way for a kingdom to come? Or are we preparing the way for a kingdom here? The answer is yes, both. We're preparing a way for a kingdom of everlasting life into everlasting, but we are to prepare the way for where we're at right now. How do we do that? And that is where we fall into 10 days. That we're 10 days of awe. Now, what are the 10 days of awe? When you think awe, what do you think of? I mean, we've, we've done real disservice to some of the language. You know, we think something is awesome. We just say it's really good. But when Yahweh says these are days of awe, this is unfathomable. Just imagine, like being at the base of Sinai. I mean, what are you going to do? You just know what to do. These are, these are times where we have a task. If we're not careful, we could just approach it like deer in the headlights. But Yahweh hasn't asked us to do that. He's asked us to do something. So what is it? Let's look at it. Ten days between a decree of judgment, which is Yom Teruah, and judgment being sealed, Yom HaKippurim. This is a time of warning, a time of repentance and reflection, and a time of preparation. Okay? Psalm 58, 11 says, Mankind will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous, and surely there is a God who judges the earth. I think we can all say amen to that, right? So these 10 days is a time to, let's just say, make right. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying you have to do something to earn something from God. That's, that's not it at all. We know that the grace we've been given, the redemption we've been given, it's a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Okay? But he's made a way to have this relationship with them. But because we are his, there are things he's asked us to do. Okay? One of this is to be an example of him to one another. Let me ask you a question. So if we, come, if we sin, we do something, and we say, Yahweh, forgive me, but we never go to the person that we've hurt, and try to make right there, does that show the heart of Yah? No. See, yes, we need to repent to Yahweh and say, you know, Yahweh, forgive me, but if we've done something that has hurt somebody else, we need to go to them. And I'm sorry I hurt you. So there's, there's some things that we need to look at here. So we examine ourselves, we repent, and we seek to make amends with our fellow man. We may acknowledge the need to repent to Yahweh, but do we also acknowledge the need 
to repent to one another. And sometimes repentance includes restoration or returning something. We see in the scriptures things like, so if someone steals a sheep, he's to return what? One sheep? No, see, there was, there was more in here. So sometimes restoration involves an action on our behalf, okay? In order to make it right, we've got to, to sometimes go beyond. And sometimes you can't make it right. But does that mean that we say, well, since I can't make it right, I ain't going to do nothing? No. Again, does that show the heart of the Father? If our desire is to walk with Yah, then we need to try to learn to walk. We need to show what's called fruit. What is, and here's the thing. That takes time, doesn't it? How long does it take to get fruit off a tree? So, so I plant a tree today. Well, then the tree has to grow. And then it takes time to start producing fruit. And then even then it takes time to start producing good fruit, right? So how long does it take to, sh- to start to show fruit? It takes time. So we have to be willing to work with one another in that process until we start to see time where fruit of repentance can be. This is uh, visible deeds. These are actions. These 10 days are filled with things that show the fruit of repentance, namely things like teshuvah, which is repentance, uh, tefillah, which is prayer, okay? And zedekah, which is often called charity or good deeds. Zedekah is from the same root that we get the word zedek, which is righteous. You know, a righteous person, someone who is righteous. Isn't it interesting that righteousness and charity and good deeds all go hand in hand? In other words, we're, we're learning to do good to one another. This is what the righteous do. They're learning to do good to one Okay? All right, so Luke 3, 1 through 14. Uh, we'll, we'll go through this really quick because, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to cover a lot of ground here and not keep you here all day. All right? <laughs> so Luke 3, 1 through 14 says, That is written, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill uh, shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, with the rough places shall become the level ways, all flesh will see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized to him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to, to flee from the wrath to come? That's a nice little me- seeker-friendly message, isn't it? He was telling them, guys, repent. You haven't shown that you have a heart for, for, for Yahweh. What are you doing here? You know? And what happens then? This is what we're talking about here. Verse 4. Or sorry, verse. So bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered, whomever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than you're authorized to do so. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. Be content with your wages. What's all this talking about here? Here's the thing. He says, Repent and bear fruit with repentance. That ties into these 10 days of Teshuvah. In other words, so we repent, but now how do we live? How do we do these things, right? Then he starts talking to them about relationship issues, how you treat one another, don't mistreat one another, right? So this is, again, a life that is changed. So we need to learn that sometimes forgiveness involves fruit. So how do we live with that? We've got to learn to forgive one another. We've got to learn to forgive ourselves sometimes, too. You know, we can say, yeah, Yahweh forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Really? You're greater than Yah? If he says he can forgive you, can you learn to forgive? Sometimes it's hard to do because it's hard for us to believe that it would just happen like that. We have to learn to trust him. Okay? We have to learn to trust him. He meant what he said. C.S. Lewis says, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. What does that mean? Forgiveness is such a beautiful, awesome thing until it lands on your doorstep and you have to do it. You know? As long as somebody else is doing it, it's awesome. And then when it comes to your turn, well, I don't want to. We need to show the heart. Matthew 6, 14. 
For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father also forgive your trespasses. My point here is that we should be a people who are not just forgiven, but who are forgiving. It's easy to say, I've been forgiven, and then turn to someone else who we're holding a grudge against and say, I forgive you. How about this? How about if they haven't even asked for forgiveness? Well, if they ain't asked for it, I ain't giving it to them, right? Uh-huh. It's not our place to hold grudges. It's not our place to hold unforgiveness. Because here's the thing, it's going to eat up you. It's going to destroy you. They don't, probably don't even know. Probably don't even care. Maybe, maybe not. But if you're holding on to it, it's going to keep you back from what the Father has called you. We can't do that. We can't live to show his goodness, his, his mercy, his grace, and to walk in his kingdom by doing that. So we have to learn not just say, I'm forgiven. We also have to learn to be forgiving. The question is, do we know of forgiveness or do we know and experience it? Much like Israel, when they were coming out of Mitzrayim and they're here at the sea, their deliverance wasn't really complete until they got an idea that, no, the past is behind. All the things that held them back before, the people who oppressed them, the things that happened, they truly are gone. They never have to go back there or see this again, ever. Matter of fact, so much so that you are going to see that the ones that have oppressed you and killed your children and, 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 and done all these horrible things to you, I'm gonna, you're going to see they're covered over with the water. You, you don't have to worry about them ever again. So then why did they keep saying, well, we need to go back to Egypt? Because life in the wilderness was not what they expected. So here we say, Yahweh, I, 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 this is so awesome. You're forgiven. I, I'm free. But wait a minute. You, it's not supposed to be like this. See? We need to learn how to walk with him, learn to walk in his ways. Ephesians 4, 29-32, how do we do that? Let not any evil word go out from your mouth, but words that are good and useful for education that may impart a blessing to those who hear them. Are the people around you blessed because of the words that you say? Boy, that's convicting, isn't it? <laughs> are the people around you blessed because you're, the things that you're speaking are blessing them? And I don't mean like someone cuts you off and you're like, bless them. <laughs> okay, I mean... The, your life and the things that you're saying and the things that you're doing, are you truly being a blessing to those around you? Are we showing that fruit? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of Yahweh by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. So let all, what? Bitterness and anger and wrath and, and tumult, evil speaking, be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Yahweh has forgiven us through the Messiah. So we can choose... To hold on to offense or we can choose to forgive but this is not a passive you can't just not make the choice and then say you've forgiven in order to actually say you have forgiven someone you actually have to forgive them we may find it hard to forgive because we try to justify our unforgiveness have we ever done that yeah we've done, let me be honest we've all done it right we try to justify our unforgiveness or try to justify not forgiving someone try to justify a grudge try to justify the bitterness there is no just Yahweh has told us to. How about this? Do we need to understand why something happened in order to offer forgiveness? There's some things we may never understand. It doesn't change the fact that forgiveness... In forgiving, are we saying that someone else was right in what they did toward us? No, but it's doing something for you. And the, the issue is not that we can't forgive, it's that we think we shouldn't. And that's a tough thing. To, if we are the victim, why should we have to... That's, that's a hard place to... But it's important. Forgiveness does not make light of the pain, and it doesn't always make the pain go away. Many believe that for, by forgiving, we are denying the severity of an offense. And by forgiving, you are not blowing off what happened. Would we be uh, saying that an offense doesn't really matter? No. We're, are there varying degrees of offense, or is every offense a major issue? That's something for us to consider. If like, something goes wrong, is, is it like everything, every little issue automatically become a huge, big offense for us, right? 
we just like wake up on the wrong side of the bed and we're like, oh my gosh, this pen doesn't write, you know, kind of, you know, what, 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 what are we doing? You know, it's like everything bigger than it needs to be. That's an issue with us, okay? We need to make sure that we are looking at us before we look at, isn't that what Yeshua said? Look at your own to take that out. And I love the analogy used, you know, before you do the speck in your brother's eye, take the log out. Maybe what we see in somebody else is actually a reflection of something that's on our lenses. Wes did a teaching on that a few years. How about this? Psalm 17, 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. <laughs> I'm just going to share just this little... <laughs> it's never just a little bit, okay? The floodgates are open, all right? Be careful how you, how you, how you let this, okay? Psalm 19:11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook it. So by these thoughts, we're saying forgiveness is unfair. And I ask you to consider what you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Are we willing to show that goodness of God even to someone who doesn't deserve it when we were in this? Forgiveness is not denying the reality of your pain. It is not letting your offender off the hook. And it is not blaming the victim. So what is it? We keep looking here. Forgiveness is not to deny that a wrong has been done. It is not forgetting. You've heard, well, forgive and forget. That's not in the scripture. I'll cover that in a second. Forgiveness is not a disconnect of your emotions so you don't have to feel pain. That's a good one, isn't it? If I just bury it down deep enough, it's like it didn't happen until it becomes resurrected and is in your face again. And then it's grody. <laughs> Been in the ground for so long. <laughs> right? Forgiveness is not seeking. Forgiveness is not. So what is it? Let's look at a definition by our understanding first off. In Webster's, the 1828 Webster's, it says that forgiveness is the pardon of an offender by which he is considered and treated as not guilty. Does it say not guilty? Nope. It says the actions toward him, they are being treated as not. In other words, you're not going to treat them differently. When we forgive, we acknowledge a wrong. We recognize there is an obligation for repayment. We choose. We what? Choose. We choose to release the offender from that obligation and to cover the loss. Look, forgiveness frees us to move on. Hebrews 12, 11 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. When you forgive, there is a great weight that can come on. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive with peace for every, every, everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If there's a root of bitterness within you, that's going to, be, that's going to cause problems. And a root of bitterness in you is never happy with just you being defiled. It always tries to seek to defile others. You know that whole misery loves company thing? There's some truth to that. When Yah forgives, he forgets, right? This is what we're talking about. So forgive and forget. That's not actually the way it's in the scripture. Let's look at it. Yahweh 31, 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Yahweh. I will put my law in their inward parts, write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more everyone his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Yahweh, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, thus says Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So, we, so when we say forgive and forget, no, that doesn't he say, I say, I will, not, I will not remember their sin. That's different than saying you forget, biblically speaking. Forgive and not remember. In other words, the car remember means to act on behalf of something. In other words, I will forgive their sin and I will not act toward them as if they are sinning. See the difference? I will Forgive their sin, and I will now act toward them as I have redeemed them. See, that's a different, but that's, that's how we're looking. At it. All right. So, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances that you may have against one another, and forgive as the Lord has 
forgiven you. Sometimes we first have to learn to forgive ourselves, okay? Then we forgive everyone who hurt us, whether it physically, spiritually, emotionally, and there's a need for that because we can't truly be whole until we've, until we've gone through that. So how do we forgive others? Jewish tradition identifies with three stages in the process of forgiveness, whether you are being forgiven or whether you are forgiving others. The stages identified by slicha, michala, and kapara. Forgiveness, letting go, and atonement. Okay, so forgiveness, let it go. Forgiveness begins with a conscious intention to forgive. But if the process ends there, the feelings of guilt or resentment reappear when you least expect them. If you have a conscious intention to forgive, but you don't let it go, so atonement can be provided, it can rear up at any given point in time. That's why when you see someone you thought you've forgiven, and when you see them and just something rises up in you, and you're just like, right? Yeah, maybe you haven't forgiven them. We need to revisit, revisit. Letting go. What does letting go mean? It means I no longer need the past to have been different than it happened. I can't, can't go back and, and change it. Sometimes you can't go back and make it right. But now we realize... I am where I am now because of the situations I've been through in my life and where I am now is where God has my attention. So now how do I start from today right now? How can I let this healing happen? It's at this stage, you may remember the pain, but you're no longer consumed with either guilt or resentment. Atonement, with atonement, you can accomplish something positive that otherwise would not have been possible. You still remember, you still may even feel the pain, but the act of atonement can transform the pain of atonement there is a day for that, Yom HaKippurim. Yom HaKippurim is the day of atonement, not just the day of atonement, but literally the day of atonement. Because see, atonement was given, we think atonement is, is forgiveness of sins. No, that's not atonement. Atonement is, is a cover for something, it is a protection, it is a safety, it is a covering that's given there. So a day of atonement, uh, atonement was provided not just for the people, it's for sin and uncleanness. So unclean is involved in the process too. Here's the thing. When the, on Yom HaKippurim, the high priest went in and out of the most holy place, not just once. See, we often read in Hebrews where he talks about this. Where they, oh, he only went one time. No, he went in multiple times, only one day. If you read through Leviticus 16, he went back in and forth, back and forth in there multiple times. He, and, and he made atonement each time for himself, for his family. He made atonement for Israel. He made atonement for the priesthood. And then if you go through and you start reading, he makes atonement for the tent. He makes atonement for the altar. Uh, did the tent sin? Did the altar sin? Did, why would they need atonement being made for them? See, so it was not just ta I'm talking about sin. It's about uncleanness as well. Sin and uncleanness, therefore atonement is needed. Okay? Here's the thing. All sin is unclean, but not all unclean is sin. One of the things we learn in the Torah, right? The example, if you had touched a dead body, there was uncleanness. Does that mean you sinned in doing so? Not necessarily, okay? So these are some things that we learned. Okay, you guys with me? I'm going to try to go through this quickly, all right? First off, the 10th of Tishri, the seventh month, added the proof of the greatest of all truths, namely, God does not only once grant existence and impart the task demanded from such existence, that he is always ready again and again to grant a new existence that has been forfeited by deriding its mission and with the renewal of the old broken law for its future faithful fulfillment to cover over, that's the word atonement, is a covering over, to bury the past and introduce a completely new rejuvenated future. This is by uh, Simpson Raphael Hirsch from the Pentateuch. If Pesach, Passover, is the moed for the revelation of the miracle of God's almighty power by the creation of the Jewish nation, of which Shavuot brought the conditions for its continuance, Yom HaKippurim, 
is the moed for the revelation of that miracle of miracles. What is that? God's almighty power in eradicating all consequences of the past. You see that? Not just saying the past is gone, but all consequences of the past. That's what atonement is. Because, you know, life has consequences, right? If you do this, this happens. So if you sin, there are consequences for that. And sometimes there are actions and things that result from things that we have done. So here, he's dealing with the consequences of our sin, and he's hoping to make atonement for that. Eradicating the consequences of the past, the recreation of an existence which had already lapsed into extermination, the moed of atonement, the spiritual, moral, social rebirth through the almighty grace of God, the resurrection out of a spiritual, moral, and social death. Hence, Yom HaKippurim, ranked with the most joyful Moed days which Israel had. And that is why on Yom Kippur, Israel joined itself to the morning offering of the Tamid as the re-established par, as being renewed afresh to the service of God and the re-established Kavashin as the renewed flock of God, which had once lost the shepherd of its life and had again found him forever. That's what we're talking about. The consequences of, of, the, of the life that we had led, Yahweh says he can deal with these things. He can help wipe this clean and help us to start a new living life right now as day forward. That's why we see his grace, his mercy is given new to us every day, right? So we learn to walk with him in relationship. Now the thing with this is that uh, uncleanness and, uh, and the day of atonement, all this is also related to shame and guilt, right? Shame and guilt. Guilt makes a clear distinction between the act of wrongdoing and the person of the wrongdoer. The act was wrong, but the agent remains in principle intact. That is why guilt can be removed or atoned for by confession, remorse, and restitution. Hate not the sinner, but the sin is what we've heard, right? This is the basic axiom of a guilt culture. Guilt is personal. Guilt is within ourselves. Guilt is within conscience. We are aware we have committed a trespass, so guilt is associated something that was done, therefore guilt, okay? Trespass. So what about shame? Shame cannot be removed by forgiveness. Think about the difference between the two. Shame cannot be removed by forgiveness. The victim of a crime may have forgiven us, but we still feel defiled by the knowledge that our name has been disgraced, our reputation harmed, our standing damaged. We still feel the stigma or the dishonor of degradation. Shame calls for the need for a cleansing. Shame is social. This is what we experience when our actions are observed or discovered by others. Shame is associated with a person. Guilt is associated with an action. Like Adam and Eve, they hid in the garden. They were what? They were guilty, but they were ashamed. If they, w- if, if they were guilty and Yahweh came and they would have said, you know, if they hadn't hid and they confessed right there, that would be different. But no, they hid because of their shame. They didn't hide because of it. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Yeshua cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us. So not just atonement, a covering over, but a cleansing of all this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. So the Yom Kippur service was, was for atonement, not necessarily forgiveness. Because okay? even through the years, they brought their offerings. If they had a trespass, if they had a sin, whatever, they would come, they would bring the offering. And before they could present that offering, they had to make confession over why they were offering this. If there was a sin involved, they would have to confess that and, and they would have to try to make amends then bring their offering. This is why Yeshua says, if you come and you bring your offering, you're at the temple and there's ought with your brother, leave your offering there, go fix that, then come back and make your offer. Okay, this is along those lines. Okay, cleansing the Mishkan. The Israelite sanctuary was cleansed from physical, ritual impurities and moral faults that the, that, uh, caused by the people throughout the year. 
The goal of purging Babylonian holy places was to remove impurity caused by the presence of demons. Do you see the difference between the two? So the Babylonians were afraid of harmful supernatural beings outside of themselves, but the evil faced by Israel resulted from their own faultiness. In other words, it's a recognition that we have caused uncleanness in our midst because of our heart, because of the things that we've done, because of the way that we've carried ourselves and, and treated each other. But there's a confession of sin, and then we know that when we confess, he is faithful to forgive, and he makes Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near the Lord and they died. Wow. Not Avanavihu. Why did they die when they tried to come near to the presence of Yahweh? Because they tried to do something that was not their place to do so. They were operating outside of what they were anointed for, and it caused death in their midst. The need for atonement was reiterated after this happened, because death is unclean, right? Okay, so what we have here, it says, and they're entering close to the nearness of the presence of God. Literally, this is what we're looking at. Bekarbatam lifnei Yahweh beomoto. So this is the cause of their death. Misunderstanding the height of the Jewish ordeal and complete overestimation of their own importance, I ain't going to say nothing, and not recognizing their own imperfection formed the personal side of their error, which brought about, which brought about their drawing near to the presence of Yahweh and pride, never thinking of ourselves of, of more than we are as we come before him. When we come before him, we are honest, but understanding. He, didn't, he doesn't want you to come before him so he can beat you down. He wants you to come before him so that he can draw you into his presence. We come to him as we are, but he changes us and brings, him, brings us his presence holy. So remember, atonement was not just for sin, also needed because of uncleanness, Leviticus 16, 16. And he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression and all their sins. And he shall do so for the tabernacle of congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Again, on this day, Yom Kippur, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you from all misdeeds and you shall be cleansed before Adonai. So the verse repeats the phrase be about being cleansed or, forgive or forgiven by God. The, the, the second phrase mentions specifically, you shall be forgiven by God, cleansed before Adonai. In the Talmud, it is said the phrase cleansed before Adonai is explicitly mentioned to teach that only misdeeds between humans and Adonai are forgiven. However, the misdeeds committed against other human beings, Yom, Yom Kippur does not atone for the perpetrator of the misdeeds, ask forgiveness from the person against whom the misdeed was committed. In other words, as like we said earlier, we can say, Yahweh, forgive me, but if we never go to the person that we've hurt, do we truly make it right? Again, the dual, char dual character for Yom Kippurim. The Torah states, this shall be an eternal law for you. On the 10th day of the 7th month, you must fast and not do any, any ordinary work. This is because on this day you shall have all your sins atoned so that you will be cleansed before your God and you will be cleansed from all your sins. Two distinct processes that we see here on Yom Kippurim. First, there's a kapara or atonement. This is the normal function of a sin offering. Second, there was a tahara, a purification. This is something normally done in a different context altogether, namely the removal of a tuma, ritual defilement, which could arise from the number of different causes, among them contact with a dead body or skin disease or nocturnal discharge. Atonement has to do with guilt. Purification has to do with contamination or pollution. And all this work together in the same day. So notice it says on here, so we come, we repent, we do all this, but why fasting, right? I mean, because where in the scripture did we see where it said and fast? I didn't see that word and fast, right? But yet we do. Why? Because 1631. So it is a Sabbath, a solemn rest for you, and you shall what? Afflict yourselves into the statute for so how? Notice it says afflict yourself, not afflict each other. Just side note, okay? So what does it mean when it says, and you shall afflict yourself? Okay, so we're going to look at. 
So it says, you shall do no manner of, of work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be a Shabbat of solemn rest for you. You shall deny yourselves, that afflict yourself in the ninth day of the month of evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Shabbat. So from sundown to, the to after the following sundown, right? So when it says you shall afflict yourself, the word ana is to afflict or to deny. Okay, to deny what? The word is nephesh. The word nephesh is sometimes translated as soul, but literally it means any appetite, any desire. Okay, so it says you shall deny your appetites and desires. How would we translate that in modern, in modern speech? Fast. <laughs> okay, so therefore we don't work and we fast. All right, why? I think one of the reasons why, and again, we've gone into more detail on this in the past, but I think one of the reasons is because we have to understand there is absolutely nothing you can do to make sure you have atonement. All you can do is ask for forgiveness and come before. When it comes to atonement, it's not like, well, if I do this, I can make sure that I have atonement. You ask him and you come before him and you trust. There is no work you can do provided. So anything we do, see what I mean? It's not about what you can do. That's why you do nothing. You can't provide for your atonement. He did. Isn't that what Yeshua did? You can't add to the work of atonement Yeshua has done for you, but yet you come to him, repent, now you walk with him. But the work of atonement, that's all him. It's been given to you. Leviticus 16.32. The Kohen that is anointed and consecrated. What's the word for anointed? Mashiach. Yeah, Mashiach. It's the word, it's, it's anoint. So the word is, is anointed and consecrated to be Kohen in his father's place. So the priest who was anointed on behalf of his father, for his father, he will make atonement. So this is talking about Aaron and his sons. Yes, absolutely. But I do believe this is also speaking in regards. He will make atonement. He will put on the linen garments. Why the linen garments? Just like every other priest. And we talk about he, he put off his garments of splendor and majesty and honor. Like the high priest when he went into the most holy place. He wore the plain white linen garments when he did that. You know, if, if we think that Aaron went in and we think of like the pictures that you may have seen with Aaron dressed in the full garments of glory and splendor before the, the Ark of the Covenant, that never happened. Read in, in Leviticus 16, he took these off and put on the plain white linen garments when he went in to the most holy. In other words, he removed these and became like all the other priests when he went in. It's another picture of Yeshua. He removed himself, emptied himself of glory and splendor and honor and became like the help provide a way. Where we, Leviticus 16.33. But for the especially holy place, he will make atonement for the tent of meeting. He will make atonement for the altar. He will make atonement for the Kohanim. And he will make atonement for all the people of the community. This is a permanent regulation for you to make atonement for the people of Israel because of all their sins. And once a year, Moshe did as Adonai had ordered him. So the need for cleansing and making clean. We see in Zechariah 13, 1 and 2. On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from what? Sin and uncleanness. Not just sin, not just unclean, but both. And on that day declares Yosavot, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets in the spirit of atonement and freedom. We are not truly free without atonement. We may be delivered from, but we need to be delivered to. Your deliverance is not complete until you come to Yahweh. He didn't set them free to wander in the desert by themselves. He set them free to draw them to. When we are brought into the presence of Yahweh, therefore, we need to be clean. We need. By being atoned for, we can be brought near into the very presence of the Father through Messiah Yeshua and live equipped because His Word is. 